Well, as I mentioned a few moments ago, if you were with us last week, you know that we did start a new sermon series around generosity, specifically what it means to live a generous life. And I am so very grateful for what Pastor Janet shared with us in helping us to launch into this direction. Now, I know that the people of First Church are a people who love Jesus and pay deep attention to what Jesus shares with us. You are a people who desire to understand deeply the words that Jesus shares with us. And so here's a quick pop quiz for you. Uh, You might know the answer to this, but if I were to say to you, what is it, what topic does Jesus talk about more than any other? You might know that the number one thing is actually the kingdom of God. In some capacity, Jesus is always talking about the kingdom of God. But then if I were to say to you, what does Jesus talk about next most, if I can put it that way, It's actually this topic that we're going to be diving into today around generosity and a little bit more specifically, the issue of money. And that might be surprising to us, but 11 of the 39 parables that Jesus references somehow involve a reference to money. And actually, one out of every seven verses that Jesus is actually speaking tie in in some way, some capacity to the issue of money which is really interesting when you stop and think about it, because it means we cannot study the words of Jesus seriously without considering what Jesus has to say to us on this topic of resources, of money, and I would say of generosity. Now, I'm gonna go out on a limb here, which really isn't much of a limb, and make a guess for us that most of the time when we hear the term generosity, the very first thing that we do think of is money. And oftentimes when we think about money and we think about it in the church and we raise the issue in the church, my guess is that we tend to have one of two responses when it comes to focusing on resources, money, generosity in the life of the church. Either we say something like, all right, I hear that we're going to talk about money. I will be back when this series or this focus is over. I know that some of us like to take that route or some of us might feel like, well, you know what? This is making me feel a little bit guilty. And so I'm going to offer, I'm going to share just a little bit more. I'll put a few more dollars towards the offering in order to ease my conscience so I can move on and not have to think about this anymore. I want to suggest to us today that neither of those approaches is helpful, and it is absolutely not what this series is about, particularly in light of today's scripture passage. In fact, in light of today's scripture passage, I would say those approaches are flat out wrong. Not to mention, it's not how God has designed us. So part of the power of generosity and understanding it, and understanding it as God has given it to us, is that when it comes to money and generosity, we can actually experience true freedom and uh, a freedom from financial anxiety. And I realize those things on the surface might sound like they're in conflict with one another, but they are not. I want to ask us to understand that today, and that's what I want to invite us to dive into with one another, that we can experience true freedom and not be locked into financial anxiety. And the way that we get there is based on what we've already heard today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, it says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And then we're told, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so already what we start to discover is that the key to generosity, it's not a focus on amount, but a focus on attitude. 
2 Corinthians chapter 9 tells us explicitly, do not give reluctantly or out of a sense of guilt or out of a sense of obligation or to try to ease your own conscience. Instead, what we're told in this passage is do it with joy. Do it with cheer. Do it with a woot-woot. I get to do this. I realize that a woot-woot is not what we often associate when it comes to living into generosity and the opportunity to give. But according to Paul, it should be because it's in our hearts that we decide to give or not. And so ultimately, giving and sharing in generosity, that's a heart issue. It's an attitude issue. It's not an amount issue. And what is it that we do in our hearts? Among other things, we decide in our hearts what we will or will not trust in. So this is what I believe. At the core, I believe generosity is not a money issue. Ultimately, it is a trust issue. Generosity, more than perhaps anything else, reveals who or what we place our trust in because generosity has real-world implications. The resources we have are directly applied in our lives to pay our bills, to make things happen, to supply our needs. And so it's not just something that we talk about in theory when it comes to generosity. It's something that impacts us day to day. And so what I'm hoping for in this series is that we will discover what it means for us to live a generous life. And more specifically, what I'm hoping for is that we will embrace a new mindset, a new heart condition, whereby we realize that if we want our minds to truly be transformed and to live in an actual sense of freedom, it will stem from a deep trust in our hearts and minds that God is who God says God is. Because if we trust that God is who God says, then you and I really will live different lives. We will live lives of freedom and vitality and generosity through our words and our actions and our mindsets and even our money and resources. We will live differently than those around us if our trust is truly in God rather than our own resources. Almost everybody that I know wants to make a difference in the lives of others. And right now, with so much hurt and so much pain going on in our world, I hear from a lot of people, I wish I could make a difference. I would love to make the world a better place. Well, generosity is one of the most tangible ways we have to make a positive difference in a tangible way in the lives of others. And so we here at First Church, we talk a lot about living into humble power as one of our core virtues. Generosity lets us live into this reality as we humbly offer what we are able to others and pray that God will use those gifts to impact the lives of others in a powerful way. To help us get our minds around this idea of trust and to experience this humble power through generosity, I'm gonna invite us today to zoom out from the scripture passage we just read in 2 Corinthians. And I want to invite us to consider from a wider scope the context into which our scripture passage is shared today. And specifically, I want to invite us to consider this passage of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 in light of what Jesus has to say about giving and money. And to do that, we're going to take then a bit of a deep dive around the concept of money because I think it is well worth it. And it's going to help us to understand how to live into generosity. So in light of that, I'm going to invite us to to buckle in here together and dive in and understand this. 
I'm really grateful today for the thoughts of Andy Crouch. Andy is a Christian and an author, and he shared some really powerful things, I believe, around this issue of money and generosity. He makes this observation. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, we hear Jesus say, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, first of all, that is a strong statement to make of all the things that Jesus could have made a comparison in sharing. He chose money, saying you can't serve that and God at the same time. To best understand then what Jesus is sharing here, it's helpful to take a look at the older, more original translations of the word that's used for money when Jesus says that. Older translations have Jesus saying, you cannot serve God and mammon. So it doesn't use the term money, it uses this term mammon. Well, what is mammon and why is that significant? Technically, mammon is the biblical term used for riches and it's often used to reference a dehumanizing influence of wealth. In medieval times, writers actually referred to mammon almost as, a, as an evil demon of sorts, so that it was more than just money. It wasn't just something that was neutral. It was actually understood to have sort of a, a force, even a personality behind it that would actually influence you in a negative, even evil way. Now, I am not saying that money is demonic. I am not saying that money is evil in and of itself. I am raising the idea that money is not as neutral as we often think it is, but rather it is something that can easily influence us in a way to dehumanize others and often to live in desires that are counter to God even the opposite of God, because if we're not careful, we can be influenced in directions the opposite of beauty and health and life and seeing people for people. So all of this to me then raises this question and begs this question, why was this idea of money or mammon considered by Jesus so significant that Jesus would say, you can't serve that and God at the same time? Well, here's why. Money, especially in large quantities, gives us a unique power that's not found anywhere else, even among kings or rulers or presidents. So at its most basic level, money is a medium exchange, a unit of account, and a store of value. And this means that money is totally interchangeable. Maybe that definition doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but here's what I'm trying to help us understand. It means that money can easily be exchanged. It's countable, it's storable, and you can note it very clearly. What this means is that money is not bound by geography outside of uh, currency exchanges. So for example, my wife Jen was just in Rwanda a couple months ago. There they use Rwandan francs. One dollar is worth about 1,200 Rwandan francs. Money gave Jen influence and power even across boundaries and countries. It wasn't based on who she knew. It was based on what she had in terms of money. So the more money any of us have, the more ability we have to get things done the more ability we have to get what we want. That's a form of power. So money gives us power that in many ways knows no bounds other than based on how much of it you have. Money allows us to get what we want or desire. Now, ironically, money in and of itself does not have a lot of value in and of itself. So a $100 bill isn't really worth the $100 of the paper that is printed on. But that money, that unit, can be exchanged for things we really want. 
Therefore, our desires through money can be transformed into us receiving those desires. So you want shoes? You can use money to get shoes. You want a car? You can use money to get a car. You want a beach trip? You can use money to go and get a beach trip. Uh, for me, I love it when money can be used to get cinnamon rolls. That's one of my favorite things. Whatever it might be for you, this is a form of power. But it's unique. Because if you think about in the time of Jesus, there was the reference to Caesar and giving to Caesar what was Caesar's in the Roman Empire. But even Caesar could only use power in his office, in his land at that time. Caesar was not the emperor of China. Caesar was not the president of the United States. So Caesar cannot just arbitrarily decide he wants to use his power all over the place. He has power that is limited to a specific time and location. Therefore, his power is contextual. But money, money's different. Money allows us to use our power and influence almost anywhere, at least where there's a currency where you can exchange money to get what you want. And this is a power then that Caesar doesn't know in his role as emperor. It's different than that. The other thing about money is that you can know exactly how much of it you have which is again, a unique kind of power. For example, exactly how much power does a CEO have in a company? Well, I mean, we have some ideas of that, but it'd be hard to describe exactly what that means. Or when you're the president, how much power do you have? Well, that's, that's hard to actually define. When you're the boss or the leader, how much power do you have? Well, again, we can give some language to that, but if you've ever been in any of those roles, you know it's hard to actually define how much influence you have but it's different with money. You can know exactly how much you have. You can measure it, you can store it up. So when we can look in our bank accounts or on our balance sheet or in our wallets, we can start to have a sense of how much power or security we might have. And what's more, the more money you store up in the bank or in your wallet or under a mattress, you'll notice that it has a storable value that can transcend time to a degree. You can save it for later. You can gather it up and in that sense, feel more and more powerful as you have it. On the surface, money might look neutral. But the reality is the more of it we have, the more secure and safe we feel, and therefore the more powerful we feel. And here's the problem with that. The more powerful we feel, the less we are inclined to trust others for our survival or well-being, and certainly the less inclined we are to depend and trust in God for our well-being and survival. It's in this way that money or resources can have a, a rather insidious nature about it. Right now, I'm, I'm sharing this sermon with you. Uh, there's admittedly a bit of power or influence in me doing that with you, but I've only got this moment to do it with you. I can't store up this influence for a later time, for a month from now or three years from now. This moment of influence is all I get. None of us are gonna be around on Tuesday morning sharing exactly in this way as we are right now, but money's different. It lasts and lasts and lasts. And then there's one other element about money that I want us to notice, and that is power is not dependent in, with money in the way that other powers are dependent. So Caesar could only be in his role because he was either adopted into it or he was the biological son of royalty. It was the relationship with another person that allowed that power to occur. Today, government officials are placed where they are because of the people. They get their power or influence only through the consent 
of the masses who put them there, but not so with money. The power of money is independent in a way that other powers are not. And the truth is, if you have enough money, you can do pretty much whatever you want without anyone else having to know or care or validate or give approval to you. So money has influence regardless of any of those other connections with any other people. And in that way, then, money is an impersonal power. This makes money a power perhaps greater than any other in our world because it's not dependent on anyone else. So if you have a lot of it or enough of it and you can get whatever you want and you can get whatever you can imagine and it doesn't matter what others think about it, why would you need God? Why would you need to rely on God? Who needs God when you can get what you want, whenever you want, wherever you want? And who needs God if the only concept we have is that we can get what we want and we don't need to rely on anyone else? If we think that money gives us what we want and is our source of security and is our source of power and is our source of relevance, we will never be inclined to give money away in a generous spirit because too much of our worth, security, and desire is wrapped up in the money. And I hope that we can hear that today. It's so easy for us to trust in money that it becomes greater than what it actually is. It, it begins to play the role of God in our lives, even when we may not intend it to do so. And so we see that, again, it's not this neutral thing. It tends to drift us in ways that are oftentimes counter to God because it's impersonal. It doesn't care about relationships or care for others. It exists only for its own benefit. And so those of us who rely on our money completely, we tend to become impersonal. We tend to not care about others as much, oftentimes only seeking to accumulate as much as we can for our own benefit. And so the only way then we, most of us, end up giving away money is begrudgingly. And according to today's scripture passage, that's not okay. And this, says Jesus, is why we can't serve God and money. Only one of them can be our master. And so the question is, which one will be our master? Do we start to see why money is such a big deal in regards to generosity and why generosity is such a big deal? It's the generosity that can free us from the power of money and at the same time give us security and freedom moving forward. All of this then starts to help us understand why we cannot serve God and money together because money replaces the role of God in our lives in a way that nothing else does and at the same time leads us away from the generous nature of God. Money has a power to it that's unlike any other power. I wanna go back for just a moment to that word we heard earlier translated as mammon. The word mammon means riches or money held in asset or assets that are held in trust. But mammon is also a name. In more ancient times, the most untranslatable words that scribes often did not translate were names. You don't translate one name to another in different languages. You transliterate them. That means you don't change the name. You just put the letters of your language in it to pronounce it. 
So for example, the name Matthew literally means gift. To translate it, it means gift. But to transliterate it, it means you keep the letters of Matthew, but you put it into Greek or Hebrew or Chinese or anything else for that matter. The name though actually stays the same. That's what the gospel writers are doing here with this name of Mammon. The early church concluded that the reason they did this was they understood Jesus to be saying, we're not just talking about money as a common thing or noun out there. We're not even just talking about it as a neutral principle or idea. Instead, we're talking about a nameable power in human affairs. Something that, that almost has a, a will to it, a, a more a personal element to it. That again, it's not just neutral. There's actually something within it that a lot of times is opposed to the will of God. There's this rather personal connection within it. And what they believed then was that mammon was this rather personal force at work in history with a, with a quasi-personal kind of ability to whisper in our own souls and to speak into our lives to help rearrange and disorient us from one another. And any of us who have a connection with money, which is really all of us know, it, can, it, it feels hard at times to part with it. Why? Because it's, it's not just that neutral thing. There's something about it that makes us want to hold on to it. And what is it that mammon wants to get done in the world? Oftentimes mammon wants to do the opposite of what God would have us to do. Mammon is often involved in hoarding and grabbing as much as we can, whereas God is a God of generosity, which is all about pouring out for the flourishing of others. Mammon wants us to operate impersonally. It wants us to turn people into things. And when mammon really gets a hold in human society, the result is treating people like things and treating them impersonally. That's what slavery is. It's treating a person like a property. It's treating a person like a thing. And while God wants to fill this world in generosity with beauty and to see others of value and to love on them, mammon so often wants the very opposite. Mammon asks us to pursue that which is impersonal until we only pursue the thing and miss the person. All this to say today, church, we cannot be most loyal to serving the God of generosity who wants beauty and life to flourish and loyal to something like money or mammon, which is all about itself and seeing other people as things rather than beloved sons and daughters of God. You cannot serve God and mammon. We can't. We will be loyal to the one or the other. We will trust in one or the other. And so the question today is, which one do we trust in, in this very moment? Do we trust in God or mammon? Because it can't be both. And to have the most accurate answer to that question, all we need to do is look at our bank statements, our checkbooks, our finances. If we are not using our resources to reflect the generosity of God, then we are using our resources for the purposes of mammon. It's that simple. I've discovered that most of us like Jesus in our hearts. We do not like Jesus in our bank accounts. In whom do we trust, God or money? Now, I realize we have to operate in life with money. I'm not suggesting that we operate without it. And I'm not saying that money cannot be used for good and holy purposes. It absolutely can. But the question I'm asking here today is what is our heart condition around money? 
are we living generous lives or not? Because if we give reluctantly or under compulsion, the reality is that money probably has a stronger hold on our life than we would like to admit. But if we give joyfully and willingly, then it's probably a good indication that it's God who's at the center of our heart. For many of us, money has a deep, deep hold. For many of us, it's money that we trust in. So if we're ever going to free ourselves from the lordship of money, we have to make some choices. And today, let me suggest just two ways to detox ourselves from our trust in money and fortify our trust in God. First of all, we want to give generously. We want to choose to give. And most of the ways that we use money, it's often for our own control and our own safety. But when we give, it's a choosing on our part to release some of the control. And when we are not quite as much in control, we have a greater tendency than to rely on God rather than our own self-sufficiency. When we are on our knees more when we're out of control, we tend to be on our knees more when we're out of control than when we're in control. And again, today, I am not suggesting in a reckless way that we just give everything away and not pay any attention. I am suggesting, though, that we move beyond our own comfort zone. So if we think of green as our natural and comfortable comfort zone, and, and red as being way in the ultra end of our, being out of our comfort zone, and maybe not even able to function, today, I want to invite us to think about what does it mean to move into the yellow zone? to be stretched from where we currently are, to at least take some steps to move us out of our own comfort when it comes to generosity and giving in God. In this way, I realize that when we choose to give, it can be risky. The most basic way to live into generosity is to begin with the standard that Scripture lays out for us. And Scripture gives us the standard of tithing in multiple places in Scripture. A tithe means to give God 10% of our income. I would suggest if that number sounds too high or too radical or impossible, that there's probably the power of money or mammon holding on to us pretty strongly. I would suggest, if I may be so bold, that we tend to trust money more than God. And I get it. Money looks so powerful, and it is powerful, but its power pales in comparison to the generosity of the living God. And so we're not giving to fulfill a legal agreement with God. We give in order to live into a generous life in which we free ourselves from the impersonal grip of money and in order to live into the rich life of the power and the beauty of God. And I am not saying this is easy. I'm not saying this will come naturally to us. In fact, it won't. But I will say this, once you learn to do it, you will experience a joy and a freedom in being released from the power of the grip of money in a significant way. And when we learn to live into generosity, we will be freed then from fear and the love of money. We really will, and that will lead us into a life of joy. All of us could use a little less anxiety, I realize, in our lives. Those of you that know our family probably know that right now, right now as I speak to you, we have three kids in college. So if you've got any extra prayer room, we'll take it, having three kids in college at the same time. There's a lot of money going out right now. But if I'm really honest with you, as I stand here, I have less anxiety about money now than I think I ever have, even though we have more going out than we ever have before. I really do somehow trust God. And part of the reason I think this to be the case is because Jen and I committed early on in our marriage to tithe. And please, I say that to God's glory, not ours. 
I say that to you because, again, I'm going to not ask you to do something that I'm not trying to live into myself. But Jen and I right now, we are still tithing with all of our kids in college. And to me, that's a freedom, not a burden. That's a trust in God, not mammon, that lifts the burdens of this world from me. So I'm just going to put this out here as direct and as personally as I can. If you're not tithing today, would you please prayerfully move towards tithing? And if you are tithing, but you never have to think about it, please think about it to the degree you're at least moving out of your green zone and into a yellow zone. In the most recent numbers that I could find, Americans right now only give away about 1.7% of disposable income in 2022. Now that was disposable income. You and I are called to give our first fruits unto God. But the numbers aren't much better for Christians. According to the most recent numbers there that I could find, Christians are currently giving about 2.5% of their income. In fact, the weekly average donation for most people is about $17. That comes out to less than $1,000 a year. And if we use math, from the tithe model, my guess is that most of us are not living under $10,000 a year. To be very clear, this is a heart issue. It's not a math issue. But what we give is a reflection of our hearts. So one of the first steps towards detoxifying the power of money in our lives and fortifying our trust in God is simply to choose to give. But secondly, and I'm only going to mention this very quickly because of our time today, to again strengthen our trust in God and lessen our trust in money, we want to seek to be transparent. There are few things in our lives that we are more secretive about than money. And money in our isolation whispers the lie that it's our business and it's only meant to be private. Now, I'm not going to ask us all to share our incomes with one another, but I do wonder, even in our own families, how transparent are we choosing to be? When was the last time you husbands and you wives sat down and shared together and talked openly and honestly about your finances and your spending habits and how you're choosing to be generous? When was the last time you parents modeled this and talked about this with your kids? Kids, when was the last time you talked to your parents about money and what the use of money in your life might look like? Today, I want to invite us to take a step step of transparency with one another that will help us to live into generosity with one another. Because these steps help us to build trust with God and lessen the power of money in our lives. And here's then how we can do it. We are told in 2 Corinthians 9, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. For as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This is my prayer for you. So today, church, I am asking you openly, honestly, directly, that we would resist the lure and the power of money and mammon, and instead put our faith and our trust not in money, but in God. And very specifically, one of the ways I'm asking us to do that is on Sunday, November the 19th, 
we will be sharing together and offering our commitments to God for 2024. Can I ask you to plan on turning in some commitment that reflects your trust in God, not in mammon, a way that you will step forward even in greater commitment in the year to come? Would you pray about it? And then, with whatever God lays on your heart, would you follow through and do it? We cannot be generous in our city without you. We can't sow wild seeds of faith in Faith Zone or First Night or Spark Zone or First Nursery or Transform or in the Axe Network or on Lycoming's campus or Penn College's campus or in Deep Study Together or with Godworthy Music without your generosity. We can't help Williamsport flourish without your generosity. So today, would you join with me and take whatever step you need to, to more fully trust in God rather than ourselves or in money. I want to invite us today to pray. And with whatever God would lay on your heart this day, may God empower us to respond. Would you pray with me? Lord God, may we ask genuinely in our hearts today, what is it you would have of me when it comes to trust? Do I trust in you or do I trust in my own money and resources? God, help us today to commit to moving into a yellow zone of our giving, to be stretched beyond our own control, to be stretched enough that we trust you rather than ourselves. God, help us to answer seriously the question of how I can live a more generous life. And Lord, today, help me to commit to making a commitment before you for the year to come. And help me to know, God, what that amount might be. This we pray, in the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, together. Amen.